Welcome to the Empower Hour, where we believe that even the most encouraged person can still use a little bit of encouragement in their day to day. Life is this exciting yet hard thing that we are all navigating together. My heart is that we can sit together and have conversations about real life content, things we are all experiencing and going through. I want to bring hope in the hard topics, bring encouragement in your brave moments, and most importantly, we can have some fun. This is the Empower Hour. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I am really excited about this little mini series that we are doing. This is episode one. Welcome mother to the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, like I said, I'm really excited to do this mini series. If you tuned in to our Introducing Braving Every Season podcast that we released, I think it was May, my mom and I sat and we talked a lot about our new book, Braving Every Season, that came out the beginning of May. And that was so fun to, one, write this book together and be published authors, and two, then to be able to sit down together and talk about it more in depth on a podcast for everybody listening. So I'm really glad that we did that. Yes, I hope it was helpful for people to know about the book, know about us, know a little bit more about the content. Yeah, and even just to like see us well, not see us, but hear us, see us in your mind, interact together, and just get an idea of what the book's tone is going to be because that was something that was really important to us when we were recording is making sure or not recording, guys, pregnancy brain is real, um, when we were writing is that we want this book to sound like us. We want this to be our personalities coming through and I feel like we did that. So I'm really glad that we we're also able to bring that to the podcast as well. But one of the pieces that we mentioned in the podcast that we wanted to do was this mini series where we dive a little bit deeper into some of the concepts in the book that we talk about. So attachment. I talked a lot about what attachment means like means for a mother-daughter relationship, how that can impact any relationship really, but why it's important to dive deeper into it. And then I also mentioned secondary emotions. We talk about expectations. So we really wanted to create just this short and sweet mini series, not super long episodes, just to kind of give you a little bit of a snippet into some of these concepts more. So I am excited to talk about our first topic today, which is attachment. I'm excited to learn more. <laughs> I feel like you are the biggest cheerleader in learning attachment, and we actually talk about this a lot. So it is really fun to talk about. And I learned about attachment when I started my social work career and started teaching adoption and foster parents about attachment. And it just opened my eyes to how every single person needs to know more of this. And everybody needs to understand how every single person has an attachment style. And it 100% impacts how you parent, how you relate to others. And all stems from how you were cared for as a child. Who responded to you when you had a need? What was their response when you had a need? Were they caring and nurturing and present? Or were they kind of dismissive and minimizing? Or maybe they were treating you in really neglectful or very fearful ways. And so that was how you were responded to when you had a need. So it all stems back to that. And I just think that everybody needs to understand that and needs to dive deeper into what it looks like for them because it impacts so much. And we'll dive into more of that today. But 
when we're really looking at attachment, what we're focusing on is the affectionate relationship between two people. Because of course, you can have an attachment to like a stuffed animal, to a picture. You know, there are things and items you can have attachment to, but we're focusing more on the people. And I would really encourage you to start thinking, okay, who am I attached to right now? Who are people in my life that um, I feel like I care really deeply about them? They care deeply about me. Who do you have that attunement with? Which attunement is the best way I can describe it is someone you know walks into the room. Maybe it's one of your best friends, your parent, your spouse, and you instantly know something's wrong without them even saying anything. Mm. And you're like, ooh, that's that's not something's wrong. And they haven't said a word or just how they answer the phone. You can tell that is attunement, that level of intimacy that you have with them and that kind of awareness in a lot of ways. So maybe start thinking of that. Start thinking about the earliest person in your life you can remember having an attachment with, some sort of connection, because those are going to help us as we dive deeper into it. So I'm going to share just a little bit about the biology of it, some of, some of the science. Don't tune me out. It's important to know. And then we'll talk a little bit about how it impacts people, the different types of attachment. And then me and my mom, we're going to share a lot about how this has impacted our relationship and for my mom specifically how her attachment with her parent was so different than what my attachment is for her and how that does impact our relationship as well but trying to do all of that and keeping this short and sweet is difficult because <laughs> I have spent hours teaching on this so we are going to do our best to dive into it all so here we go First, why does attachment even matter? Because one, it builds trust between two people and attachment in a child helps them to create this safe and secure base for them to explore the world around them. So I give the example of a child at a park where if you bring your toddler to the park and you're sitting on the bench drinking your cup of coffee and you let them kind of go and play, what do they do while they're playing? Every once in a while, they're going to turn around and check if you're still there. They're making sure that, oh, my safety is still where they should be. Or they fall and hurt themselves and then they run over to you because you are that security blanket for them. So that is a sign of a healthy attachment. And also it creates this foundation for them as they're going out into the world. So they're learning from you. What does it look like to make appropriate boundaries with people? What does it look like to have a healthy and positive relationship with peers, with a romantic relationship? You're setting that foundation. And when you are getting healthy attachment and development between the ages of zero to five, that really sets the stage for allowing healthy development as you get older, as you're continuing to grow. You maintain that that healthy brain really is what it is. And then they're able to separate from you when they launch into the world at whatever age it is and go off on their own. There's that healthy separation too. So that's really a quick of why that happens and how attachment is formed. It's really a cycle. So if you've ever seen me present this in person, you've seen me talk. It's kind of like a, a graph that I show on the screen and it's a cycle where a child has a need, then they're in distress. The caregiver meets that need and then the child is able to regulate from that. Kids need our help regulating. 
Kids are not really able to regulate on their own until after two years old. They, of course, need, can have support and you can walk them through it. And um, there might be some kids that are a little bit more independent. I know my toddler has become really good at self-regulating when he bumps his toe or something along those lines. But they still kind of need that support from us and to be able to regulate. So when that cycle continues to happen and they're getting that support, you're meeting their needs, that's when they're forming a healthy attachment and they're learning that my caregiver is a safe person to go to when I need help. And they feel like they have the power to ask for help. They become a little bit more independent. So that's why it's really important. And the cycle of an unhealthy attachment, what happens there is when that same, the same rhythm that we just talked about, the child has a need they're in distress, but what happens when the caregiver doesn't meet their need or inconsistently meets their needs? The child then has to learn how to regulate all on their own. And this is going different than just teaching your child independence. And I want to stress that. This is maybe if it's a if you had a parent that was an alcoholic. So sometimes they were there, they were present, and then other times, you know, you had a need, but they were passed out or they were too drunk or incapacitated to help you. Um, or things like that, or they became angry, minimized your need, made you scared. So that's a little bit more what we're looking at when we're talking about that unhealthy cycle. And when this happens, the child doesn't feel that they can trust their caregiver. They don't feel safe. They don't feel like their needs are met. In extreme situations, this is when kids will go into what we call survival mode. They feel like they have to fend for themselves. They feel that they're the only person they can trust. If they're the older sibling in a sibling group, then they're more likely to take on more of a parental figure to their siblings because they are wanting to care for the, the other kids in their home. So there's a lot of reasons for this disruption attachment. There could be trauma, abuse, and neglect. There could just be prenatal stressors in the womb. Sometimes that can affect it. If a, a mom is under significant exterior stress or in a domestic violent situation, that can impact. But also, if you have mental health challenges that you're working through, severe depression or anxiety, there are days where you just don't feel like you can be present for your kids. Sometimes that can interfere. And then um, postpartum depression and hormones. I mean, I battled postpartum depression for like at least three three weeks after my son was born. And it was really hard at times to care for him and to be present with him. So if you have any of those things right now as a parent, I don't want you to freak out and be like, oh my gosh, I have a bad attachment with my kid. No, these are, you know, again, we're looking at a cycle that happens repeatedly over time and um, more serious situations. But those are just some of the base baseline concerns. But one of the best parts about attachment that I like discussing is that there's so much hope because your brain can actually heal and it can heal over time. So even as we're about to jump into the different attachment styles and you might be listening and thinking, oh, I'm this attachment style and that's not good, <laughs> there, there is hope because between just creating positive experiences and continuing to have positive relationships in your life and also working through some of that past trauma or just that past where you didn't feel like your caregiver was there or was really minimizing to you. Working through it can actually do wonders on your brain. So there really is hope in that. So there's four main types of attachment that I want to focus on quickly. And 
So again, we're looking at a person's attachment style is their specific way of relating to others in a relationships. And it mirrors the dynamics we had with our caregivers at, as infants and children. So that's how it's developed. And there is a secure attachment type. And then there's three different types of insecure attachments. So that first one, the attachment, the secure attachment, you get that when you're little and your caregiver responds really quickly and positively to you whenever you have a need. They are responsive, they're nurturing. And so as a child, some of the behaviors you might have when your caregiver responds that way is you get distressed when your caregiver leaves because you like when they're with you, you feel comforted by them, but you are excited when you see them again, when they're coming to pick you up from daycare, and you seek comfort from them when you're sad or scared because the two of you have created the secure bond. Now, the next attachment type, avoidant, is what we classify as an insecure attachment type. And how that is developed is when a caregiver might be very dismissive or minimizing or unresponsive and uncaring when the child has a need. And for the child at this point, they don't really then have distress when a caregiver leaves them because their caregiver is dismissive and minimizing them to them. Why would they get sad if they're not around? They don't really acknowledge when the caregiver returns and they don't really want to see contact with them if they're hurt or scared or anything along those lines. So that is one of the attachment types. Ambivalent, or I've also heard it called anxious attachment, that is when the caregiver responds inconsistently to a child. So if someone is battling severe depression, some days they're on, they're present, and there's other weeks where maybe they can hardly get out of bed and they can hardly care for their child. So they're just very inconsistent. So at this point, a child is going to be in distress when a caregiver leaves because their caregiver does care for them at times and is present with them, but they're not necessarily comforted by the return of their caregiver because they might not know what mood they're going to be in. They might not know, you know, are they going to be there to support me today or are they going to tear me down? So they're just, they're not quite sure. And then the last one is a disorganized attachment. So this is when the caregiver is responding in really frightening or scary ways. There might be abuse and neglect happening in the home. And so a child at this stage does not have any attaching behaviors. They don't really show any sign of interest when the caregiver is around. Um, they don't really seek to make contact with them. They don't show any sign of, you know, happiness or scared when the caregiver is picking them up or dropping them off. Uh, there's just no attaching behaviors. So going through that list, I know I went through them really fast, but I just wanted to give you that baseline. And I'm sure a lot of you have already pinpointed what you think you might be. And Again, all of this has to do really with who your caregiver was. And your caregiver might not have been your parent, might have been your grandparent, might have been a foster parent. It might have been the neighbor lady, honestly, who was more of a caregiver to you. And all of those people do matter. And all of those people do have an impact into what your attachment style might be. So just some really important notes 
that I just want to make before we go on is that, yes, your attachment style is always shaped by your caregiver, but it can be influenced by other people in your life. And you can have a different attachment style for different people. So I have a secure attachment with my mom, but I probably don't have a secure attachment with my dad who I've never met. So that is going to be very different for people in your life. Um, And you are able to have a secure attachment growing up, but then if you experience betrayal or trauma, then your style can become a little bit more insecure than that if there is that trauma that impacts you. Yes, that is, again, just the notes that I wanted to share. But what this might look like when we're talking about relationships and how this impacts your relationships. So for a secure attachment, a person feels like, oh, I can trust and I can be trusted and I can give love and accept love. They feel comfortable getting close to other people. They don't feel so closed off. They're not afraid of that intimacy. So they're able to depend on other people while also still having those healthy boundaries that we talked about earlier and not becoming too dependent on them. And the secure attachment style makes up about 56% of adults. So then avoidant attachment style, if you go back and remember that, that is when a caregiver is responding very dismissive or minimizing. Um, and so the care, the child doesn't really get sad when they get dropped off at daycare or something along those lines. An avoidant attachment style makes up about 25% of adults. So really a good number there. And with this, there's a fear of intimacy. There's that hard time trusting others. They might feel like they're emotionally unavailable in their relationships. There's this strong sense of, I am going to be independent. I don't need anybody. And a lot of that stems from not having somebody there supporting them when they were growing up or minimizing whenever they had a need or a situation. And so they didn't really feel cared for. So they don't really trust that other people are going to care for them because why would they? They never experienced that growing up. So they don't have that concept to understand that you aren't actually out to get me or you are actually going to care for me when I have a need. Now, that ambivalent, anxious attachment style. So again, that's when the caregiver is responding really inconsistently. So this makes up about 19% of adults. And in this, uh, someone might be feeling a deep fear of abandonment. They're really insecure in their relationships. They are always concerned that, oh, my my friends are going to leave me. My partner's going to leave me. You know, these are the people that when you don't text them back after two hours, they're texting you like, hey, are you mad at me? Did I do something? Because they have that deep insecurity and really hungry for validation. They might feel they can be kind of the people that are classified as needy or clingy in their relationships because they're always needing something and always needing you to validate that, yes, I love you. Yes, I want to be your friend. Yes, I need, I want to be there for you. Um, so that might be some of the characteristics you see there. Now, for a disorganized attachment style, which again, that's when someone is being responded to in very frightening, scary ways, or there's trauma. So this, the characteristics here is kind of a combination between that ambivalent and avoidant styles that we just went over. The person might be really reluctant to develop a close relationship, yet they still have that desire to feel loved by somebody else. And this might be, again, this result of experienced trauma. 
um, and can be associated with significant psychological related risks too. So this person might really struggle with struggle with deep depression or suicidal ideation, just having some other mental health challenges. And they could also have this heightened sexual behavior, you know, increased risk for violence in relationships. There's somebody that kind of gets in with the wrong crowd, you know, I'm doing air quotes over here, or um, tend to get with the person that they're in a domestic violence situation, just not safe, or you just notice they're not being treated right. So that is, that's really hard to kind of wrap your mind, mind around a lot of when you're thinking of these. And you might also be on the other side of that, though, like, oh, I know exactly where I am. Mom, did you feel like when you looked at all of this and I explained it to you, you knew where you were right away? I took I took the test before we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And it would, I, I know how I reacted to people. And I always have a hard time putting myself in a category (laughs) (laughs) because there was such a mix of things. But I think the first time I took the test, I was avoidant and that made sense to me in that I kind of avoided having friendships growing Mm. up because I wasn't sure what to do. Mm. But then the second time I took it, Oh, what was what was it you called? You were disorganized. Disorganized. And I didn't feel like that was you at all. <laughs> and it was it was interesting because I'd learned more about it by that time. Mm-hmm. So I think I might have answered the questions differently. Mm. And there are certain things that definitely put me in the disorganized. And I think it's a result of how I reacted as a kid to what was going on, even mm. though other people might not have thought it was very traumatic. To my little self, it was very traumatic what Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you know, like my mom just mentioned that there is a quiz that you can take. There's a lot of different types of quizzes out there. If you just type in something called the adult attachment interview, if you type that in, you literally get so many (laughs) Google searches of different quizzes you could take, different articles. There is so much information on attachment out there that I highly recommend you dive deeper into. But there is a quiz, but I also really just recommend doing the research yourself and going through it to categorize yourself because a quiz is never going to be 100% accurate. You know you know yourself. You know how you are in relationships. If you are seeing a counselor or a therapist, talking with them, bringing this to them, like, hey, let's dive deeper into my attachment – Let's go back to my family of origin because that's really where this all comes from and um, doing that work or talking to a friend and processing it yourself or anything like that. But I just think it's really important to be to be looking into it because it affects you so much. Like I just listed out in all those different characteristics that it does it does impact how you are in relationships. And for me, when I took it, yes, I do have a secure attachment, but there also is a little bit of that ambivalent anxiety style for me. And that's what the results came back on my quiz. And at first I was like, no way. I feel like I'm secure. I don't have those issues. But then I started really thinking of my childhood and more so how other kids responded to me when I was little and just being bullied and picked on. And there was a lot of adults in my life that didn't understand me and kind of minimized me and dismissed me and who I was. So then it does make sense of why 
in friendships, oh, I always think, oh, I'm being too annoying. They don't want to be my friend anymore. Like I constantly really needed that validation from them. And then in my relationships too, I was so nervous that they were going to leave me. I was so nervous that I was going to do something wrong and screw everything up, that it was just hard to focus on just being present and myself. I was trying to change myself to fit the relationship and to fit what they wanted for me. So when I started learning more about this, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. (laughs) It really, it started to make sense more. And not only does this impact your friendships and your romantic relationships, it can for sure impact your parenting and how you are with your kids because your kids are like a mirror to you of what you've dealt with in the past a lot and Mm -hmm. how you respond, how you behave in crisis and in stress and it impacts you deeply. A a good example that I always share of this was this dad who had adopted and the dad himself had an avoidant attachment style. So for him, he kind of ran away when things got hard. He didn't want to deal with big emotions and big challenges. And so whenever there was a conflict or situation, he would be triggered by that and just want to isolate himself. Well, he adopted a child who, when he was having a meltdown, he needed comfort. He needed love and nurture and someone to help him regulate and calm down. And you can see how that would be a big conflict and tension. They're complete opposites. And so he needed to do the work to figure out his attachment style, to figure out What's happening internally? Where does this root come from so that he could be present for his son when he needed him to be? And that's just one example. And there are so many more. And we need to do this to to help us just understand how we can be the best person and be the best kid (laughs) or not the best kid, be the best parent for our kid in all of those areas. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, mom, just wanting to hear a little bit more from you since I've been chatting away about your attachment style and how you feel like you saw that relevant in your childhood. It's I've been taking notes as you've been talking because every time you talk about this, I learned something new <laughs> and I have more revelations and realizations mm-hmm. about things. You had mentioned the stuffed animals and being attached to stuffed animals. I had over 100 stuffed animals at one point, Mm. and I considered them my friends. And when I felt bad or was upset about something, I didn't go to my mom. I didn't go to anybody else. I went in my room to be by myself with my stuffed animals Mm. because I felt like they weren't going to do anything negative to -hmm. make me feel worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But my... Older sister, who's two years older than me, she was my real positive attachment growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think I substituted her for what most people would have an attachment with their mom. Mm. So she was the one, the parental figure. I followed her everywhere mm-hmm. and got that she took care of me. And so I think... I'm not as screwed up as I might have been (laughs) had I not had her in my life. Um, One of the things when I was pregnant with you was I said to myself, I am going to parent you differently than I was parented. Mm -hmm. And I was just basically going to do the opposite of of how I was parented. Mm -hmm. 
show you lots of love, pay attention to you, spend a lot of time with you, do fun stuff, find out how you really worked, what you like to do, and not run away and not dismiss what you were feeling. Mm -hmm. And you felt a lot. So it was (laughs) a lot for me to get through and get over, just like that father you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I had to really push through and get way outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. But I I appreciate you sharing that. And I do think that there is that mentality of like, oh, I'm not going to ever parent the way my parent parented me. And yes, you know, we can absolutely do that and strive for that goal. But sometimes subconsciously we do end up, you know, because it's drilled into us. That's how you were parented. You don't really know any other way to be parented. And so I don't want people to ding themselves off of that of, oh, my gosh, I sounded just like my mother right there. (laughs) or Oh, my gosh, you know, freak out a little bit because you were only really parented one way in your childhood. You might have had different influences, but those are the only ways that you know how to parent and to give yourself grace and understanding that you're not going to always get it right the first time. Oh, I got a lot wrong. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> there's going to be times. And I mean, I only have a 20 month old, but I'm like, man, I got to do this better. And so the next time it happens, I remember that error and I try to edit it and I try to fix it. And it goes a ton better that time. And so we have to be able to understand and realize, okay, this might be the part that I didn't really appreciate. And this is what I want to do. But I do understand that I am just one person. And I'm going to try my best and try and figure it out and do the work. Like you said, you have to do a lot of work to provide healing where healing is needed and clarity and reflection where you need to. And there was a lot of positive that my mom did that I brought into taking care of you. We always had plenty to play with and to do our creativity. And she brought us to any type of lessons or sporting things that we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did have lots of opportunities, which I also tried to give you. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that it's a really good idea for all of you to just kind of take a few minutes after listening to this episode and just process what are my attachment style? Like, what do I, what are my attachment styles? What do I feel like has really impacted me and that my characteristics align to? And then do the work to do some research or reach out to a friend or if you have siblings, sometimes they're the perfect people to talk to in these areas of like, how do you feel your childhood went? <laughs> you know, to really get a glimpse into into their experience, into their life as well. But then also bring it to your parents. If you have that relationship where you're still able to communicate and talk with them in a way that's actually going to be healthy and productive, then talk with them about it and just be really vulnerable. You know, that's the whole premise of our book is just courageously talking and being vulnerable with each other, even though it might hurt in some areas. But to bring that to them and say, this is how I feel that I was parented and this is how I'm seeing the impacts of that into my relationship and not doing it to be blaming, you know, not doing this to be accusatory or anything like that, but just start that conversation because that might lead on their end this like, I'm so sorry, like I was going through X, Y, and Z at that time when I was parenting you and I wasn't my best self. I wasn't my best parent. And and to 
maybe bring forgiveness and healing in that circumstance too. So I don't know. Could be a good idea. Could be a bad idea. <laughs> I'll let you decide. <laughs> well, also while talking to my mom and dad throughout the years while I still could, I learned a lot about their childhoods mm-hmm. and how they grew up. And now that I know about attachment, I look can look back and see how their attachment was yeah, yeah. when they were a child. And it really opens my eyes to a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great point. You never know what you can learn from them too about their experience. And same goes for them of they might have only been parenting the only way they knew how and that they experienced. So well, that was like a serious crash course on attachment. I know that was like a lot to take in. Like I said, we usually spend two hours, you know, teaching and training on that or and just wanted to give you a brief, brief, brief look into it, but I encourage you again to just do some more work on your own. But if you are someone that's scared, you know, like, oh, I do have a insecure attachment style with my kids. You know, I need to do some work now. There is a lot of really good attachment parenting ideas out there. Um, attachment comes from sensory so that's why they always talk to when you have like an infant that you're making eye contact and talking with them and singing and smiling and facial expressions because look and touch are some of the biggest ways to build attachment with somebody. So some fun ideas for parenting is doing finger painting, doing, um, you know, silly things with your hands. And that can be really fun bonding or sharing food, combing each other's hair if it's appropriate to, you know, do lotion and massage and cuddle, doing that. Um, But also with eye contact, if you feel brave enough, let them do a makeup tutorial on your face, you know, face painting because you're getting that eye contact with them. I think that would be great for teenagers too with mm -hmm. teenage daughters. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. It doesn't have to just be young. They can be older and having that. Um, And just, yeah, playing games and anything that you can do to really be sitting and taking the time to actually look at them and to communicate with them. And we live in a society where it's rushed and it's go and you have your phone out and I have my phone out. And But just take the time to actually sit, look, listen, and talk to each other can just be incredibly bonding. And if you have older kids, sometimes it's a lot easier for in a weird way to not be looking at each other. Um, I know car rides for me are just some of my prime emotional heart-to-heart times. We had the best time in the car. And you know what it is? It's because you're not looking at each other directly in the eye so that the just the intimidation factor isn't there. You're just looking at the road. Going for walks is such a good thing too because, again, you're just looking ahead. So those can be some really good um, ideas for teenagers specifically who might not want to just sit and stare and look at you. But – those are just a little bit of ideas. There's a ton more online out there. But again, we just wanted to share a little bit of what our experience has been, especially from two people who had two very different upbringings and attachment types. And again, just to reiterate that there is hope. And I feel so passionately about this topic because there is hope, because there is a way that Not only can you just kind of move through it, but you can heal your brain. You can change the biology in your brain a lot of ways and be connecting with those positive relationships in your life. Even if you have that anxiety of what if I'm bothering them? What if they don't like me? If they're saying yes to coffee, they obviously like you. (laughs) 
they obviously still want to get together and talk to you. So have that courage to continue to provide and find those really good relationships and those experiences. So any final thoughts, Mom? I would highly encourage people to look into this more because it has really changed my outlook on things from the past and your childhood and my future going forward, especially with my grandkids. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Really good point. Well, thank you, Mom, for joining me. And thank all of you for listening and tuning in. And we'll see you next time in our mini series. Thank you, McKelty. 